Our scripture reading today, uh, the part we're going to read together is in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. Let us stand for the reading of God's word, as you could expect, the triumphal entry of our Lord. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand those things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Let it be. Amen. And please be seated. Jesus is our Savior. Amen. That one's easy. It's most about what he's done, mostly. How about the statement or the question that is a part of Lent? If Jesus is my Savior, have I also allowed him to be my Lord? You know, I was encouraged a few years ago whenever I saw someone on the Baptist side of the fence, I believe John MacArthur, asking that particular question and making the point that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you will have to accept him as Lord. He does come to give you eternal life, but he comes into your life to change your life. And sometimes that change is easy and sometimes it is hard. But one way we can see and look at where Jesus ranks in our life is to look at our priorities. Have you ever done this kind of thing? It's a neat exercise to do, to look and really sit down and think about, maybe even write down, what are the most important things to me in my life? And then to ask that question which has to follow. If these are the most important things in my life, how does my actions support, confirm, or unconfirm that list that I say are the most important things? Now, we all have our very important priorities. Now, I can just list a few. Hopefully, for those of us who are married, our spouse is a priority. For those of us with children and grandchildren, hopefully they are priorities. For some of us, our parents are a priority. Maybe work, job, study, field of study, career path, leisure time. Time to gear down and recharge. That's also a priority. Uh, home, 
retirement planning, holiday fund. There's a lot of things that we can put down as top priorities or at least as substantive priorities. And of course, I haven't yet mentioned God, Jesus, the Spirit, and God's church as of yet. But today, let's look at how the people in Jesus' life during this chapter 12 either stated wholeheartedly, "Let yes, Lord, you are at the top of my list or not. And to do this, I want to go back and read a little bit in chapter 12, the first uh, 9, 8, 9, 10, 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You remember this story. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, not lard, nard. It was very costly. Anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You could also say it was filled with the fragrance of Mary's act of devotion. But Judas, Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, and I imagine he was fussy in saying it, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal, I'm sure he thought of it as borrowing, used to steal what was put into it. But Jesus said, leave her alone. She brought it or bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. But you do not always have me. Hmm. Let's look at Mary, Martha, and Judas just for a moment. Now the most often quoted story of Martha and Mary, the story of Martha trying to get everything done around the house and being frustrated that Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet and adoring him and receiving teaching from him. And Jesus has to say, Martha, don't get on to her because she's chosen the better thing. It's okay. Now, it's interesting to me that here it's the same thing. Have you noticed? Martha is serving and Mary is at Jesus' feet. Now, Martha, don't discount Martha, though. She was the one who had said at the raising of Lazarus, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And just let it be noted, she said that before her brother was raised from the dead. And now Jesus is again in Bethany, enjoying a dinner prepared for him, possibly by the townspeople, but definitely assisted at least by Martha and Mary. And what is Martha doing? Martha is doing what she always does. She is expressing her love and devotion in service to others. That seems to be one of Martha's top priorities. If you've read a book called The Five Love Languages, you might even say it's one of her love languages, acts of service. I know 
way back in the day, a lot of people said about their dads, well, he never talked about how he loved us, but, you know, he showed it to us. And a lot of men of olden days, before we were all supposed to be sensitive, we had acts of service as a big part of our love languages. And this was Martha's. She was the one who wanted to make sure that everything worked, that everything was perfect, that the needs were taken care of, that Jesus and those with him were well served. So one of her top priorities seems to be service to others and by extension, service to God himself. In the presence of Jesus, Martha's first priority was to serve him, to be in action for Christ. So Martha was doing her thing, serving the meal, And Mary comes and kneels at Jesus' feet, not to listen to him this time, not to mourn the death of Lazarus this time, but on this third time to anoint him. If Jesus is king, Mary is the one who is anointing him before his proclamation that he is the king by the triumphal entry. And she does it with this very expensive perfume. Mark says she pours it on his head. John mentions his feet, probably both. But John wants to make sure that we understand that there is an aspect of her action that is self-humbling, devotion, adoration, that she is kneeling before the king. And he definitely, I believe, wants us to connect it with Jesus being anointed And then we have, with that little statement about, well, now the chief priests want to kill Jesus and Lazarus, then we have the triumphal entry. The cost of the ointment, according to Judas, take that for what you will, was about 300 denarii. A denarius was one of the coins back then. Um, At least, I think it's gone up. But in U.S. dollars, the last information I had said it was about 55,000 U.S. dollars today would be the cost of that jar of pure nard. Okay, that's a retirement fund back in those days. That is a life savings back in those days. And I'm sure all of the disciples were shocked at the devotion at the selflessness, at the extravagance of her adoration, but you kind of get the feeling with Mary being Mary, don't know if she even thought twice about it. I mean, here is the Messiah, the King of Israel. He is about to go into Jerusalem. Maybe they've been talking about this moment, and she has the privilege of anointing Him. It's like that commercial, you know. This and such a thing, 550. This and such a thing, 120. The end result, priceless. This was priceless. To be able to say, I anointed the king before he entered. This probably represented her life savings. Mary's priority was adoration of Jesus, of God of receiving his teaching and showing him extravagant worship. Now, do you notice how these two, that their top priorities did not have themselves as the object? And do you notice how this goes hand in glove, this service and this adoration with the summary Jesus gave of the law and the prophets 
love God with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there, these are exemplified in Mary and in Martha. But now Judas has to stick his nose in it. Remember Jesus saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. Kind of works the other way around too. Wherever your heart is, that's where you will invest your treasure. And Judas was thinking of the money. I mean, Mary's heart was quite clear. You do not give away your life savings for nothing. She wanted to adore and worship and praise and honor Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, more worried about what might be done with the money, what the jar would bring in the marketplace, particularly if he could get his hands on it. I was thinking about this. I was reflecting on a number of things, but I think it's best summarized in the song title, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex on His Television Show? Yeah? When Billy Graham passed, I saw an article saying that he was the most honorable and the best of the televangelists, and I wanted to tell them he wasn't a televangelist. He was Billy Graham. There's a difference. Oh, I grew up. You'd turn on and here was someone saying, send all of this, send all of this, I'll pray, and you'll get multiple. In-. They always seem to be well off. And honestly, if I had thought about it back then, I would have said they kind of reminded me of Judas, who was just getting a few things out of the coin box. It's interesting that Judas, claiming a disciple, claiming to be a friend of Jesus, eventually betraying him with a kiss. Judas's priorities are not the priorities of God's kingdom. He seems to be in it for whatever profit he can get out of it. His goals, his profit, his very literal enrichment. Then if we read on, when the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. And then we have the triumphal entry. The chief priests... If someone has been raised from the dead, you would expect that to be conclusive enough proof. But you know something? I am firmly convinced that if a person really does not want to believe, or they they have their mind made up, often you cannot confuse them with the fact. And the chief priests already had their minds made up. They'd already decided that Jesus and now Lazarus needs to die. He had already been offending them. Jesus had been pointing out to them for the last few chapters that the things he was doing could only be done if God was with him. The works that he was doing point clearly to him being the son of God, but they have closed their minds to the possibilities. They've hardened their hearts. They've denied him. They will not believe him. And I think the motivation is clear. The Pharisees then, this is in verse 19, said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. 
I can just hear that full conversation. Look at this. We've got to do something. We can't do anything. All of the people, the world is going after him. Now, John wants to make sure we know what they said because of the word the world. And John is again bringing it to our attention that it's not just for this one people, this one area. It's all the world that is going to be open to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. But for the chief priests, what they were meaning by this is probably the following. We can't do anything. Our world, our people... The people who are supposed to be following us, they are going after him instead of us. Now, some of them say, well, he's been given power by demons. Some of them probably thought he was a charlatan. And you never know, some of them probably thought that being a priest was just a good gig. But regardless, they were afraid of what he was going to cost them. Judas was with it for what he could get out of it. The Pharisees were against it because of what they would have to surrender because of him. Power, prestige, control. How different from Mary who had just surrendered so much to Christ and Martha who was looking at what others needed, not what she did. Thankfully, there was the crowd and they were praising and honoring him. Ordinary people had heard about Lazarus and now they hear that Jesus is back. He's coming to Jerusalem. So they get the palm branches. They get their cloaks, lay them in the road. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This is actually from Psalm 118. 25 and 26, that Hosanna, you've heard it is a translation, salvation or save now. It's a Psalm 118. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, Just as Mary professed that Jesus was king by anointed him and Martha had earlier confessed it, now the people do it with the palm branches and the praise and Jesus even affirms what they are saying by fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah coming in on the colt, on the donkey. But why did they praise him? Was their adoration selfless? Like Mary's were they thinking, oh dear Lord, I am privileged to see this, to be here when the Son of God, when the Messiah of Israel comes into Jerusalem. Or was it self-interest like Judas? Were some of them there praising and saying, finally, I've always hated those Romans. I am ready for God to send flaming vengeance upon them. Or was it even more innocent? We have been so downtrodden for so long. Now finally God is going to do something. Now, it was probably a mix. Because sometimes for all of us, our motivations are a little scrambled. And that's understandable. I mean, in Zephaniah, we have this. And it's also figured into the statement that they shouted. The Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. The Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. Who does not want that? 
Don't you look forward to that day when finally all of our troubles will be over and we will no longer fear disaster. Yet also, surely Martha's and Mary's priorities, that committed service, that extravagant adoration, are the examples that we need to follow. And so, we have seen today that there are a range of responses to Jesus that it's often can be discovered in others and in ourselves by what is foremost on our hearts and minds. What are our priorities? Adoring love, devotion, willing to give up everything for Him because He's the most important person we know, committed service in honor of the King to the blessing and benefit of others, not us. Or maybe greed, self-interest, because what matters is what we can get out of being a part of this. Or maybe jealousy leading to the plans of murder because what matters is power and authority and we can't surrender it. Honor and praise God's promised Messiah, King of Israel. Where do our priorities lie when it comes to Jesus, to God, to worship, to church, to service? All of these things that are wrapped up and summarized in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are they high on our list, somewhere in the middle, lower than we would like? Okay. How many of you loved homework when you were in school? Raise your hand. I'm not seeing any hands raised in this Methodist church. I think anybody who would want to raise their hand said, no, I'm not going to out myself because... You just never liked the kid who said, uh, Miss Barfield, you forgot to give homework. Ooh, didn't you hate that? I'm sorry, but I'm going to send a little homework with you tonight. Um, if you have time, which basically means if you make this a priority, do this little exercise. It has a lot of benefits. Part of it is religious, maybe even just in clarifying for you, for me, what we think what we believe and do our actions reflect it. If you have the time to make this a priority, sit down and prayerfully think about what are the most important things in my life? What should my priorities be? And start writing them down. Maybe you won't get the ranking perfect. It's not about that. But put down the most important things in your life. Then do what they call a time and action inventory, which is a fancy way of saying, then on a separate sheet, say, okay, what do I wind up doing? How much time do I spend of the time I have in focusing on these different things? And then take them, set them beside each other, and consider are the things that I believe are the most important, meaningful parts of life, are these also what my actions proclaim are the most important parts of my life? Dear Lord, let us be willing to see Maybe the things that we don't want to 
but we'll receive such a blessing from you if we take the time and make you the priority. Lord, life is so full now. And Lord, we are so many of us. Sometimes life just feels like you're that hamster in that cage and you're on the spinning wheel. And every time you jump off and try to take care and be a part of the things that really matter, Lord, sometimes it feels like we are just pushed right back on because there's one more thing that's got to be done. Lord, help us to take stock and to find, to make the time to see how the things that we might be prioritizing are not the things that are even the healthiest for us. Definitely not the most important. Dear Lord, guide us and lead us and let our lives be richer in you as a result. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.